Hello, and welcome back to the Chem Talk podcast. On today's episode, we interview Dr. George Whitesides, a Woodford L. and Ann A. Flowers University research professor at Harvard University. Dr. Whitesides earned his PhD at the California Institute of Technology and currently researches physical and organic chemistry, material science, biophysics, complexity, surface science, microfluidics, self-assembly, micro and nanotechnology, science for developing economies, origin of life, and cell surface biochemistry. We hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to the Chem Talk podcast. I'm your host, Olivia Lambertson. And I'm Bella. We recently interviewed Dr. George Whitesides, a professor of organic chemistry at Harvard University. Dr. Whitesides earned his PhD at California Institute of Technology and currently researches their Lorenz effect with his research group at Harvard. Today, we will be breaking down his interview from the early days of his career to his current research. We hope you enjoy. I'm a organic chemist in principle. I work at Harvard University. My background education was mostly in in organic chemistry. That is to say, I was an undergraduate in organic chemistry at Harvard. Then I was a graduate student at Caltech. And then I worked for a long time at MIT, terrific place. And then I moved to Harvard. And what we've worked in over the course of time has been a wide variety of different subjects. So we've done a lot of work on metallic chemistry. We've worked on self-assembled monolayers and surface science. Our probably biggest projects now are in the origin of life and in um, the Lorentz effect in chemistry, that is how magnetic fields influence electrochemistry. And so it's difficult for me to say that we are particularly focused in one area or another area, we work on what happens to be interesting to me at a given time and what we can get money for. My background um, was, as I said, pretty conventional. That is, I took courses and the courses were interesting and, you know, fairly straightforward to do. There is something to be said about going into areas which are not insanely difficult. I mean, I find physics breathtakingly interesting but I'm not someone who thinks primarily in terms of equations. So I don't do physics. There's no point in doing, working competitively with people who do something extremely well when I don't. And I don't do that. I don't do equations and think mathematically extremely well. And one thing I've always believed, at least in part, because my father was a chemical engineer, is that there is a, obligation on the part of academic chemists to do work that has characteristics that it has some benefit for society. You could look at it and say that's good for something. And if you look at chemistry, it's extremely rich in this regard, but it has the characteristic that often there is an interesting process or an interesting reaction, but you really don't know how it happens and you don't know how to do it in a different way. And so that was how we started in a sense. We started working in polymer chemistry and how our particular slant was, how does one do polymer chemistry? And in general, how does one make difficult molecules by working with enzymes rather than working with just straightforward chemical reactions? It was a very interesting, rich vein, which we pursued for a number of years. 
This conversation with Dr. Whitesides was so interesting. He had so many experiences, from seeing his dad as a chemical engineer to studying and teaching at Harvard. It's just so crazy to think he's done and succeeded all of that. Yeah, it's really cool. He's had so many amazing experiences. Right. And he currently does research at Harvard, mostly with postdoctoral students, but some undergrads. And he's studying the Lorenz effect, which is super interesting phenomenon, which involves charged particles and how magnetic fields influence electrochemistry. Let's listen to what Dr. Whitesides has to say about it. Now, presently, the most interesting things is the relationship between charged ions and electrical current. And that, of course, is another way of saying electrochemistry. Okay, so anyway, we worked in surface chemistry, and I, I had done my undergraduate um, thesis in Harvard as, a, as an electrochemist, working with a man named David Gesky. And so I, was, I knew a little bit about electrochemistry, and I have to say it's a mysterious area in, in terms of getting the electron from the wire into the molecule. That's, that's hard to fully understand. And um, uh, we've pursued that kind of thing now. And then if, if you ask about big questions in chemistry and in science in general, the question of how one goes from a collection of molecules that might have been produced by who knows what, um, in outer space or as comets strike the earth or whatever, and you get from there to life is certainly one of the big interesting questions. To me, it's the biggest interesting question that I know in science. And, you know, we're sort of working on that. And we certainly have not answered the question, but neither has anyone else. So it's, it's different people have made different kinds of progress in it and made a, you know, headway. But it's, it's a good, unopened, unresolved question to work on. Something which I think is not good for young people is to work on improving something that already exists in fairly developed form. And that's true of a lot of different areas. You find that the community makes progress in field X, and then all of a sudden a lot more people are working in field X because there's a background in it. And that's fine, except that the rule, the general rule is that if you're the first in the field, then everyone who follows works for you. And if you're um, the other way around, if you're following up on somebody else, then you're, the rest of your life you're following them. And that seems to me less interesting. You know, it's more fun to go off and do it with your own standards in your own way at your own time um, by being there first. And so I'm not intrinsically competitive. I just, I think, practice will be first because then people leave you alone. So that gives you a background. We believe it's good to make it as simple as possible so that much of the work we've done in surface chemistry has been finding methods of modifying surfaces that are so simple that anyone can do them and do them without great effort. It's the democratization of science. You don't have to have a high vacuum line and all the rest of that stuff, which we have done, but it's labor-intensive and slow and if something breaks, then it can take a very long time to fix it. There's just but you need to do things that are slow, but uh, have, the, have the characteristics that anyone can do them, and self-similar model errors anyone can do. So I take, I think, what sounds like the opposite of what you were suggesting. Make it simple, useful, and slow, 
Um, it doesn't have to be slow. Make it simple and useful, and you're in good shape. Okay. So can you provide me, like, a basis for this? What does all of it mean? No, of course, yes. It can be really confusing when you don't know what is going on. So from speaking with Dr. Whitesides and also doing a little bit of reading on his website, the basis of his research and the Lorenz effect is electrochemistry. So electrochemistry can be explained in the form of production oxidation reactions. Many of us know them as redox reactions. Oxidation is the loss of electrons or an increase in the oxidation state, while reduction is the gain of electrons or a decrease in the oxidation state. A redox reaction in electrochem is when electrons participating in a chemical reaction, such as burning wood, move between the two reactants participating. Dr. Whitesize actually wrote his undergraduate thesis on electrochem. It's very full circle of him to conduct that in his research lab all these years later. Oh, yeah, that is so cool. But I have a question. What exactly is a thesis? I hear people talking about it all the time, but I'm honestly not exactly sure what they mean. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. I mean, a thesis can be really different um, depending on your subject area. A thesis is a type of research paper based on your own research. So most grad students, or in Dr. Whiteside's case, an undergraduate student, conduct their own research as part of their degree. So to publish it in a literature or to present it to their program, they write a paper on it called a thesis. Okay, got it. So as you were saying, Dr. Whiteside's thesis. Yeah, so it was basically on electrochemistry, which is the study of electron movement. Electrons are the negatively charged part of an atom, and they move along the outside of the nucleus. The nucleus is made of protons and neutrons. The protons are the positive part, and the neutrons are neutral. What does that mean? It's atomic number, which is the top of the number. The number on top of the carbon on the periodic table is six. That means there are six protons and six neutrons in the nucleus and six electrons in the outer shell. Okay, got it. That makes sense. Great. Yeah, I'm glad. So in his research lab, Dr. Whiteside's goal is to try to get those tiny little electrons from wires or currents to go into molecules. A real-life example of this would be electricity currents that work on lights, make our refrigerators work, or the example Dr. Whiteside uses is in outer space. Okay, two questions. First of all, how does this make our fridge work? So for our fridges, refrigeration involves the use of a thermoelectric module, which is a solid state device that converts electrical energy into a temperature difference between two things. This temperature difference can be used to transfer heat from one location to another, therefore achieving refrigeration. And that's why you feel a lot of hot air coming out of the back of your refrigerator sometimes. Interesting. Okay, what about outer space? And as for outer space, basically scientists are trying to make it possible to create and access fuel for rockets on the moon as opposed to just shipping it there from Earth. So if we were to send somebody to the moon again, there would be like a gas station there and they could just fill up their rocket, hop back in and continue doing whatever? Well, that's the hope. It's so interesting how this is happening, though. A research team under Dr. Greg Jackson at the Colorado School of Mines is using high-temperature electrochemistry to split water molecules, which, if you don't know, is two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen atom, in order to create the fuel. The water molecules come from the frozen water on the moon, which gives the fuel properties to make it better suited for the conditions of space. 
Oh, that's so cool. So this might be the first step in making space travel more accessible, no? Maybe. I mean, we can hope. And this is a good real world example of how people that aren't students or professionals in the field look at chemistry from the outside. Dr. Whiteside says that cosmology, the science and the origin and development of the universe, kind of similar to astrology, is one of the most interesting parts, mostly because of the Internet and these major telescopes that exist now. Really, people are just so fascinated by anything that has to do with outer space. Oh, so true. I know I definitely am. Like, do you remember those photos taken by NASA from the James Webb Space Telescope last summer? Yeah, I do remember that. It made like national news, right? Yeah, because it produced the deepest and sharpest infrared images of the distant universe to date. I remember talking to my non-science friends about it, and they even thought it was so cool. Back to the moon gas station, though. I'm actually curious how research labs have the means to conduct this, like Dr. Whitesides and Dr. Jackson. How do they get money from their universities and or raise funds? Yeah, no, totally. Here, Dr. Whitesides will explain it a little bit more. You know, my neighbors pay taxes, and the taxes go to the government, and the government takes a tiny fraction of that and gives it to me to do research on. And the neighbors would like to know what on earth is happening to their money. And it's a perfectly legitimate question to me. And so I think that doing research that has an outcome that people can understand is admirable. It's a worthwhile thing to do. And so the Bach-Hammer process was a you know a fine example because here you take something which is pretty simple, which is uh, rust, and you pump up nitrogen, you heat it up, and you pass it over that. And after a while with hydrogen, you get uh, ammonia out or related kinds of things. So it's intrinsically, if you ask how it actually goes, that's very complicated and to me remains mysterious. But in terms of the actual utilization, I can explain to my neighbors what we're doing. So I think that's an important motivation for science. And People who argue that science should be for pure learning and this and that, the other thing, I think it's, it's not nonsense. It's a perfectly legitimate way of going about it. But the idea that the purpose of science is to produce papers that interest scientists is a little bit self-reflexive. I don't see any reason why my neighbors should pay for that. Right. I completely agree. I think that especially with there's a big focus you know, in research, you know, you want to produce papers, you want to, you know, be successful. But at the same time, when we're dealing with these issues with the stigma around science um, and the stigma around chemistry, and like you said, when people's money are going towards it, um, it's important to have, you know, reasoning that we can explain to people and show to people how chemistry is not just something to study it is something that is everywhere and something that affects them as well regardless if they're studying it or not yep and you know the nice thing about chemistry is that everything is made of chemicals so there's nothing that goes on in the world that doesn't involve chemistry it's a wonderfully broad field in that regard so if you can't find something useful there then probably you should go into being you know something else you should do finance or you should do whatever I've always, I've always been very happy with chemistry. Interesting. So it comes from government funding and Dr. Whiteside's neighbors. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. And he went into this a little bit, but it's important to have reasoning to explain to people whose taxes go towards funding these labs. Why chemistry is not just something to study, but it exists everywhere and it affects them regardless if they're studying it or not. So true. Actually, on the topic of cost, another interesting topic Dr. Whitesides talked about was how a lot of things in the industry are expensive, which is not always practical. Let's give it a listen. I mean, we started low-cost medical paper diagnostics. We started because I'm a big believer in public health. That is to say, knowing how disease spreads and things of that sort is a you know big part of controlling it, particularly in parts of the world where you may not have infinite, infinite um, access to expensive pharmaceuticals. So um, having the ability to do diagnosis very inexpensively is a very important part of that story. And we worked on that, asking the question at the beginning, what is something, what is a technology that we could produce which has the characteristic that it is as simple as possible, as inexpensive as possible, but still leaves valuable information for people who are doing diagnosis of disease. And so it was very much uh, practically based, if I can put it that way. But we're enthusiastic. We as a country are enthusiastic about cancer right now, curing cancer. Right. Well, that's, that's a fine idea. I'm all for it. But it doesn't, you can't use engineered cell lines in Ethiopia. It's just not a practical thing to do. They have other problems that they have to deal with. And so that isn't, that doesn't mean that one class of problems is more or less difficult or more or less important than another class of problems. It just means you may have to use different tools to do it. I mean, if you look at the journals, they're full of papers that have the characteristics that they produce very interesting results, and they are absolutely unusable because they're so expensive. Now, you know, that to me is a very straightforward um, boundary. If no one is going to use it, why do it? So it isn't necessarily the case that everything has to be practically driven. It's just one, one kind of boundary condition you can use on choosing a problem versus another problem. And practically driven means cost, because if you have something that is exceedingly expensive, then it has to be exceedingly valuable for anyone to pay attention to it. And it may well be that if it's exceedingly, exceedingly valuable, that's not enough because, in fact, if people can't buy it, they can't use it. And so there's lots of opportunity for young scientists to look at that and decide what they're going to do. But they have to think about money because large-scale processes are not going to be used unless they're economically plausible. And they have to be something that doesn't require years and years and years of of preliminary research to make work because we don't have years and years and years to throw away the time to do some of this stuff is now. And so, you know, it, it, the real world is actually a pretty complicated and demanding place. Then how do you get to something that's dramatically new? And I think to come back to something I said earlier, the answer is curiosity. You have to think of something that you're interested in. You don't understand how it happens. And it has the characteristic that if you figure it out, it makes a big difference in terms of your ability to solve a certain class of problems that has not been soluble before. 
I think it's pretty interesting that he's so focused on the cost of these important topics. That's not really something that seems to be emphasized by a lot of people in science. I agree. And those are just some examples of how high costs affect real life things. I mean, we've all seen various programs that bring volunteers to third world countries to help the people there, mainly with health issues. But if you sit back and think about the cost of those trips, it could really add up. So like Dr. Whiteside said, it's important to minimize costs in as many places as possible so those trips can still exist. For sure. I mean, those volunteers are amazing and it would be a shame if the reason they couldn't make a difference was money. Exactly. He also touched on pharmaceuticals, saying that its primary objective is to cure diseases. But to do this, it's sufficient to understand the aspects of this at the molecular level. Okay, so how do I understand that? Well, chemists that create drugs have to have a really deep understanding of how they are made, obviously. But the reason this is different than creating other things, such as soap, is because even if a microgram of the wrong chemical goes into it, it can become a completely different drug which could be very bad. Uh, yeah, for sure. I actually work in a pharmacy at home, and it's so interesting to learn about all the different drug classes and how much chemistry really affects the field as a whole. And I'm so happy that my studies actually get to apply to my job. Yeah, I bet. I'm sure that's super fun. It pretty much is. It's just really hard to give people bad news, especially pertaining to costs of certain meds like insulin. It's so expensive and that's something that people genuinely need to survive oh yeah no i know so to explain this if um you don't know the ongoing insulin crisis makes it extremely difficult for people living with type 1 and type 2 diabetes to get their daily insulin at a reasonable cost this has caused many people to have to ration their insulin or take a second job to play it off or even forego paying their bills in order to afford a medicine that they need to live According to Yale University, for more than 14% of people who use insulin, it consumes at least 40% of their available income. Oh my God, I didn't realize the numbers. That makes it even more awful. No, truly. But luckily, the House of Representatives has passed the Affordable Insulin Now Act, which went into effect this year. That for those who are on Medicare and have diabetes, the cost of insulin will now cap at $35 per month. Oh my God, that's great. But what about those who aren't on Medicare? That's a really good point and something important to consider. There is a new company called Lilly, which introduced an insulin value program where folks, no matter their insurance situation, won't have to pay more than $35 a month for Lilly branded insulin. Oh, okay. Amazing. I'm sure that's a huge weight lifted off people's shoulders. No, it definitely is. Continuing, Dr. Whitesides talked about another really interesting and important topic, which was when we asked him about how he feels about the perception of science and how it has changed over time. Let's see what he has to say about it. Well, the question that you ask there really is, if you're looking at the field of science from outside, what's the most exciting part of it? And, right. you know, it's, it's hard to judge that. It's a question of what you make interesting for yourself. So right now, I would say that the most exciting parts are probably in cosmology and in certain areas of, of physics, origin of the universe, this kind of stuff, because they have new tools. The web and, and related telescopes make a really big difference in, in what the field could do. 
but that doesn't mean that you can't come up with things that are equally interesting. So it's up, it's up to you as scientists to decide what to do. And the fact that you might work on something that seems less important, the thing that's less important may turn out to be more important when you really figure out how to use it for something. So I don't know that people have collective views of chemistry. I mean, to me, chemistry is a breathtakingly interesting area because it's so universal. So everything, everything I look at is chemistry. And it's a question of what I want to do. But then I look at the problems and they ask, what, what makes the best combination there? And it's going to be some combination probably of chemistry and physics and biology. So you should learn all three and then you're off and running. That sounds simple, but it is actually the way it worked. I think that it is so interesting to think about how there can be different topics trending in science. Like Dr. Whiteside said, right now, so many people are interested in cosmology because of new technology. But that wasn't always the case. Exactly. I think it is so cool, too. Cosmology is super popular right now, but it hasn't always been that way. And depending on the time period, different aspects of science have been popular. Kind of like how when the Human Genome Project was going on, a lot more people became interested in studying genetics. Exactly. And we've even seen trends change from physical experiments to theoretical and computational studies as well. Or even think about the introduction of technology. A lot of science now is devoted to improving that or finding new technological solutions, which wasn't always what people focused on. So true. I also thought that it was important that he emphasized the overlap of other sciences with chemistry, too, like physics and biology. It is really true that they are all overlapping and work together, even if they are taught as or viewed as three different subjects. I completely agree. Though at ChemTalk, we often emphasize how important and interesting chemistry is, biology and physics are just as important and often involved a lot in chemistry. I mean, physical chemistry is essentially understanding the physics of how molecules and atoms move and interact. And so much biology and chemistry come together in terms of understanding living things. Right. Every discipline of science is important in different ways. And we usually need one to understand the other one better. The conversation we had with Dr. Whitesize was so interesting. And he's had so many experiences in his life, from seeing his dad as a chemical engineer to studying and teaching at Harvard. It's just so crazy to think that he's done and succeeded at all of that. Yeah, it really is so cool. He's had so many amazing experiences. I hope I can be as successful as him one day. Well, if we're going to take his advice, his advice to those getting into science is honestly pretty simple. How do you get to something that's dramatically new? And I think to come back to something I said earlier, the answer is curiosity. You have to think of something that you're interested in. You don't understand how it happens. And it has the characteristic that if you figure it out, it makes a big difference in terms of your ability to solve a certain class of problems that has not been soluble before. He said that you have to be curious or guided by curiosity. Realize that chemistry really is everywhere and especially be motivated to make discoveries instead of working on the same topics as everyone else. There's lots of opportunity for us as young scientists to look at certain issues and decide what we're going to do. But it really should be inexpensive and quick. For example, like the COVID vaccine. We didn't have years to research it, so the research and development process of creating the vaccine was sped up big time. Yeah, so true. But I think he gave great advice. And if you follow it, that can lead you to a ton of different avenues within any field, not just chemistry. 
He says the moment that sparked his interest in chemistry was when it was easy for him in school. So sometimes you definitely just need to go with your gut when choosing a career path. That's definitely good advice. I wish I knew that sooner. (laughs) Right? Me too. (laughs) Well, we hope you've enjoyed today's podcast featuring Dr. Whitesides and his research in electrochemistry. I think we all learned a lot from him. For any more chemistry help, please go to our website, www.chemistrytalk.org. Until next time, bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the ChemTalk podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information on today's episode and countless chemistry resources, please visit our website at www.chemistrytalk.org.